0: What's going on everyone? Before we start this week's reef therapy session, I just want to let everyone know that in a month, August 6th and 7th, we're going to be hosting Reefstock Australia for the first time in three years. Now, part of the Reef Builders team will be out there and we cannot wait to see our Australian reefing family again. We look forward to visiting with all the manufacturers, seeing some new products, checking out all the not-awesome Australian corals, giving away a lot of prizes in the raffle and hosting some great speakers for you to learn more about reef corns as a hobby and the industry. So make sure to go to reefstock.show for more information and we hope to see everybody out there. Reefstock Australia August 6th and 7th. What's going on my brother Mark? Thanks for joining me on this makeup session of Reef Therapy. Are you feeling better?
1: Getting there. Getting there. Slowly but surely. Um, It's going around the house now. Uh, coronavirus. I had it. Uh, my wife's had it. Now my daughter has it. So it's. I feel uh, a little
0: bit left out of the club, man. Uh, so many friends I know are having it right now, and I'm still just somehow dodging that bullet. Um, but we won't dwell on that too much. Uh, you were out here a couple of weeks ago. Yep. And uh, it was good to see you in person. Yeah, and man. Took that time to just kind of. Uh, reconnect and you know just have our own sessions of therapy and talk about a bunch of stuff um, what did you think uh I guess about our time
1: I enjoyed it man i uh It was nice because I was there last summer and then I came back this summer and it 's sort of like you know when you have a niece or a nephew that you don't you only see in the summertime and then you 're shocked at how much they 've grown just because you don 't get to see them every day and you know um so for me, uh, seeing your systems, obviously they'd been up longer than just last year, but just seeing the change from last year to this year was really cool. And seeing how just everything is just grown in on an epic scale on every tank was, uh, was fun to just walk around, you know, and, <laughs> and take it all
0: in. Yeah, last year we you know we did some work. We did like almost two, three hours of video touring, and then a brief therapy session, and then a, recess, a private session right after that. But this time I felt like it was nice to just kind of, um, you know, just be present, be yeah. present together, and then talk about it uh, now. And it's nice to have you know someone like you who has like a mental personal snapshot of the tanks, and you can see them year over year. Where I'm, usually I'm just like looking at a tank like. Oh god, I wish this coral was bigger. I wish this coral was bigger and then for months and then finally I'll look at the tank like, "Oh, that coral needs to be fragged. <laughs> 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 that coral needs to be cut down." <laughs> that is actually one of the challenges, man. I've been trying to to keep every kind of coral and I'm starting to realize that some of them are, just aren't worth it, you know? Like I babysat uh um some kind of well, it was a pasta pora meandrina so kind of semi-thick branching and it was one of the first colonies here in the studio and it just it didn't really grow it was surrounded by pasta that were growing and i just i would clean it up and then cut it down and then clean it up and cut it down and then finally i just i aborted it and like it was like breaking up with a needy girlfriend or something I'm like, oh, my God, thank, thank goodness. Like, you know, I wish you would have worked out, but you didn't. And I've done that with a handful of different corals, you know, like um, these like just random, very thin bottle brush brown acros. I've given away a bunch. But just the, the other day after you visited, I man, chucked a bunch of stuff. I was like, man, this is not, I'm the only one who would be interested in this coral. So there's not even a point in trying to give it away or trying to sell it or take it to the fish store because I've already done that. Um, so yeah, I actually filled up a couple of buckets of um, C grade coral because I'm down with the B grade coral. <laughs> but the C grade stuff, I was like, all right, you guys flunked. You're bet. Ba- you're, you're go bye bye. Yeah. No, these are LPS, right? They're mostly SPS colonies that I have like lots of other samples of so I can regrow them again. Yeah, I mean, the closest I
1: can relate to that, because you obviously have so many more systems and so much more room for uh, coral, and you have so many different types of systems. Um, But the closest I I can relate is just when you start to make compromises around one coral in your tank, and everything is, um, every decision is tiered off of, you know, oh, well, there's this big coral here. and, And that's what happened with my leather, where it it had grown so massive and it was so fun to have a massive massive leather coral as a showpiece but you know every every decision every uh, like the aquascaping was based around that coral and eventually you're like you know what dude it's time to rehome you because i'm making too many compromises for one coral and it's
0: keeping me from doing other things i really want to do right so i love leather corals man but they just so demanding it's there's a group of corals that like if you grow the heck out of it it's like it's it's awesome right but you know take the case of a leather coral either it's not doing well and just kind of taking up space or it's doing really well and taking up a ton of space yeah and uh god i swear like a lot of different leather coral strains are just way more fun when they're small and cute yeah <laughs> when they're one to two to maybe know four inches and then when it's like six seven eight twelve inches they're like all right this is not fun anymore you're fundamentally affecting the flow around the aquarium detritus is building up at you know the base of your stock or whatever and uh yeah i'm having to kind of cull a little bit At first, I managed that here at the studio by setting up another tank. That way I could put more corals into it. But now I'm realizing, like, I have two different strains of brown branching bubble coral, two different strains of green branching bubble coral. I'm like, I don't need any more. (laughs) Let me work on these strains and really get them happy. And so I'm feeling the same way about a, a kind of a range of different varieties that I have. Um, a lot of different brown, gray, mauve, uh, branching varieties. And I've been hoping they would do something, you know, for a long time. And some of them just haven't, you know, when I had all the room and I first set up the studio, it was cute yeah. to pick up boulder, uh, varieties, you know, big, big, just balls, balls of varieties It's super common out in the ocean. And now that it's been a few years and I have to navigate the flow and light and coral placement around it, I'm like, man, you guys are kind of a liability now. <laughs> Just an outsized impact on the tank and not as much enjoyment from the coral itself.
1: Yeah, no, I, can, I can definitely relate to that on a smaller scale. <laughs> um, but yeah, you, you have to, especially if you only have one or two tanks, you have to be selective and I think you have to be a bit cold-hearted at times. and, and um, and st- if you don't want a fruit stand of tiny little frags of every little coral that, I mean that's the opposite end of the extreme but you also don't want to get to a point where um, and this happens to me a lot because I have a lot of old corals that have been around with me for a long time and I keep them for sentimental reasons but Sometimes you got to let go, you know, mm-hmm. and especially if you start to get bored with your tank, you might be bored because you're growing stuff that you've been growing for three years and and as mature and beautiful as some of that stuff is, sometimes it's a, a reset or a reboot and bring in some new corals that you've had your eyes on and now you're excited about um, ensuring their success, right? You're back in the game to try to get something to grow. It, it, it's a, It's a good thing.
0: Yeah, one thing I am realizing about the studio is I'm gonna have to start applying more of an aquascaper mindset to some of these aquariums, actually to probably all the aquariums, where an aquascaper sets out to, to, to accomplish a particular aquascape in a particular layout. Yeah. And kind of similarly to you know our ingrained mindset of like the war on nutrients right just it's just how we are brought up you know as reefing children to just nitrates are bad phosphates are bad let's let's just get rid of do everything you can to just knock those back knock those back and that you know is never going to go away but same thing with the reef tank there's not really as much discussion about because coral's theoretically grow slowly, right? You know, we have it in our mind that you're going to put some of these corals in place and you're going to enjoy them like that for like five to ten years if you keep the reef tank that long. But any moderately successful reefer knows that two to three years, you know, of really ideal growth, you got to do some work, you know, and if you don't, um, even like, say, we're not talking about junky corals, we're talking about great looking corals, you know, your um, or a red planet might overgrow your organ tort and uh, just really disproportionately affect the tank, you know, like Chris Capp's eight foot tank. Um, he's got a three foot Jedi mind trick. It's, I mean, it's a good three by two feet, and he is constantly cutting colony-sized chunks off of it. There's nothing he can't do. He can't really take that coral out. I've been trying to, like, put it in his ear to turn it into the aquascape, like start putting clams, like, just right on top of it. Oh, yeah. and And making some little clearings and just putting acros right on top of it because, you know, it needs to be slowed down somehow. So, yeah, it's, there's not enough conversation about, like, reaching a desired aquascape you know i know this might kind of be uh alien speak to some folks who are newer in the hobby or who have maybe not grown corals as much or as long but uh yeah i really need to consider a little bit more like i have a perfect patch of three different torch corals on one side of um the flagship tank it's peninsula tank they look amazing but i'm looking at them like you guys are crowding each other you're crowding each other like i literally take them all out, cut them down to about a third and put a third back. And then those polyps would reopen to fill the space that the colony currently occupies, you know, and that's, um, God, it's such a weird nuanced uh, side of the hobby to talk about.
1: Yeah. I actually got to see the, uh, the Chris cap tank. Finally. I I stopped by, uh, I got the shirt on such a cool shirt. Yeah. Uh, his wife, Nicole was kind enough to, uh, give me the shirt. Thank you again, Nicole. Um, My wife's name is Nicole, too, so I think Nicole's are pretty cool. Um, I did not get to see Chris. He was out uh, working, so, but uh, if he's listening, uh, maybe I'll catch him on the next trip. Um, But, yeah, that thing is huge. (laughs) Uh, You know, it's always interesting uh, because I brought my family along, and I always love seeing what... I don't want to call my family non-reef keepers because they've lived with me so long that they're at least... 10% 10% reef keepers, you know, <laughs> um, but, uh, and, and, you know, my, my son immediately walked in there and was like, Oh dad, they got a lot of bubble corals, you know? And so how many seven year olds know what a bubble coral is? So, but in a general sense, what I mean is it's always fun to bring my family of s- somewhat non-reef keepers and see what they, what they find interesting or what they notice. And that, uh, that Jedi Montepera, they were all like, Whoa, you know, <laughs> so just cause of the sheer size of that thing.
0: Um, speaking of Mondeporas or Monteporas as you prefer there's the hobby is you know super focused on product the branching and some of the plating but the so-called species that are encrusting they're not only encrusting right i think i've talked about this before but certain species like on and confusa just look so amazing in the books the identification books and you can see the big colonies and you'll see like those branches come out but like i have a confusa now that's just you know cracking about a, a foot in diameter just starting to throw up branches but it's like already too big for that aquascape you know, I'd love to grow a Montepora confusa that was 18 inches in diameter and, you know, a foot tall with the super thick, scraggly branches. And uh, I just, mm, God, that's a, that a lot to trade off. You know, I could have like probably three or four smaller colonies of acros in that spot.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's, it, there is some, some value in bonsaiing these corals, right? I mean, um, Seeing that jedi as big as it is, and knowing it 's still relatively small compared to what you may see scuba diving for example is uh, is a real eye opener um, it's, a, it's a we we talked about you know everyone should go snorkel or scuba diving in previous talks just because it really opens up your mind but yeah it's just seeing like a lobophytum that 's you know as big as my desk <laughs> it makes you realize yeah. like you could literally have a six foot tank which is lobophytum and it you know i mean it'd be kind of cool but it'd also probably be boring after a while um so
0: yeah i I guess this this conversation could probably just um be titled uh the drawbacks of success yeah you know so one perfect example right now that i'm facing is my mangrove trees um first of all you know I had them for about a year, and they just kind of barely grew. And then about last year, I put an automatic mister on them, and they were like the typical small, two to four, oh maybe four to eight-leaved um, little mangroves that you know most people can get up to. And then when I put the mister on, they just exploded in growth. Well, I just realized, you know, recently that I was we were the, the trees started dropping a little bit more leaves than usual. You know, when the new leaves open up, they have these small kind of protector leaves that always fall down. But then it, they only lose large older leaves when they're not getting misted enough. So I'm looking at the tank, I'm like, man, we're starting to get some holes in this foliage. What's going on? And I hadn't realized, because it's kind of a new thing to me, the pre-filter that I was using before the booster pump that feeds the misters um, from the freshwater tank, um, it had started, uh, the pre-filter itself had started decomposing, just Ew. like falling apart. And I hadn't even thought of this and I didn't realize that the mister, I could hear it going and I just assumed it was going, but I, it wasn't until like, I sat there and turned it on. I was like, wait, this is, this is not normal. So I pulled out the pre-filter and it just, it just disintegrated as soon as I pulled it off and shook it a little bit. It's, the, it's like paper pleated stuff. So I'm going to have to have it in mind to, I already have some more on order, but I need to replace those, you know, twice a year at least, but um, on the other side, like the trees have grown out of the tank, they're hitting the sides of the, 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 the walls, you know, out of water and the mister, even when I got it back up and running um, properly. It doesn't miss the entire tree, you know, and I'm like, oh, crap, I can't. What am I supposed to do? Just keep gr- growing the enclosure b- or building the enclosure bigger and bigger so I can miss it more and more. And like, am I going to grow an actual freaking tree? <laughs> and I'm like, all right, all right, I'd, I'd like to pull those those mangroves out and put them in a really more dedicated mangrove setup and then start over with some new mangrove pods and then learn how to bonsai them right because now that i know how quickly they get big i feel a lot more confident in um being aggressive and like you know trimming the the tops to try to get you know thicker bushier branches um although as you pointed out the trees i have right now have some really cool roots yeah (laughs) have some really really cool roots so uh yeah you're getting to the
1: point where the roots could be the aquascape you know eventually and i mean that that would be always a dream tank of mine where you've seen some of those public aquariums where they make fake mangrove roots out of resin or, yep. And then, you know, to have something like that and then put corals on them, but have it actually be mangrove roots, it would take such a long time to get there. But, man, that would be a cool tank, you know.
0: So we just did a video on that whole wall. Yeah. And because I did kind of a late spring cleaning of the sump and then every tank, not just like a, a token... Wipe down some grooms to try this removal, but just something a little deeper, just getting at all the sponges that build up for us, you know, spots of where the velonia builds up that the emerald crabs can't get to, and just really reconsidering all the corals that were <laughs> in each tank. And um, then when we got to the mangrove tank, it wasn't until I was we were in the middle of shooting the video because the bottom part of the mangrove tank has been a kind of a gallery where we've cycled different types of corals in there, including the leather corals that I've talked about that have just gotten way too big. And it wasn't until during the shooting, I'm like, oh my God, this might be a perfect place to keep one or two of my showy anemones, because then they can just walk around the roots. I just have to figure out, you know, a really bulletproof way to um, isolate them from the two Neros that are in there. Um, But man, if I could get like, the Ritteri or the Magnifica on one side and then the blue carpet on the other. Ooh, that would be crazy. And if I'm really dreaming some figure out how to get the pizza, the the rainbow pizza anemone, I mean, like kind of in front, <laughs> in the center. Oh my God, that would be freaking crazy. And then, but then the you know, the fish aquascape in there or the fish population would be token clownfish. But I've always wanted to do that. I think that'd be really cool. Um, in and a really good blend to have you know this unique lagoonal aquarium with bonsai uh, mangrove trees and then like two or three show clownfish anemones and then find all the uh, anemone crabs and anemone shrimp and other things that will go in them I think that could be cool
1: yeah you mentioned earlier you know starting to go into it with an aquascape mindset and it got me thinking about just some of my uh, tribulations of uh at least with the last two tanks that i've set up my my two current ones um what i have as a vision in my head and what i end up executing either doesn't add up or hasn't added up the way i'd hoped or um in the end that you know i discover something i didn't like about it so you know my upstairs tank i joked about how it still looks like a pretty young tank after a year because I reset it a couple of times that year because I, I, you know, had my um, unhappiness with the NSA aquascape and, you know, certain other things that, that, you know, and then I took that big leather coral out, which then made me have to reshuffle the whole aquarium because a quarter of my tank just opened up. Um, And I finally got to a place where now I'm happy with everything and I just want to let it grow. But the tank in my basement. The vision I had in my head and what I ended up building don't sync up. And I'm, I've been very unhappy with the outcome. And then I went and visited you and, you know, family in Colorado for a week and um, I, I've had, uh, I mean, to keep the long story short, you know, I've always been of the opinion that cyano is not enough nutrients. So you know, it's... Gets the chance to exist because the more complex algaes, and cyano is not an algae, I get that, but the more uh, complex algaes aren't able to etch out a living, right? So you don't have a lot of turf algae and stuff. And so, also in cyano, was like, hey, you know, I don't care that there's no nitrates because I'm a nitrogen fixer. But then you got this other camp that says, oh, no, no, if you got cyano, you have a buildup of gunk and you need to dose bacteria. So, out of curiosity, before I left, I started dosing bacteria. I started doing the devil's advocate to myself and i came back and the whole thing was just coated in cyano i mean i what was just a patch was like i was purposely trying to grow cyano so um uh that anecdotally makes me think that my viewpoint and other i'm not the only one that thinks this way right most there's a whole slew of people that believe this um that it's more that you probably should be adding nutrients to combat cyano but anyway that became the impetus of like well i'm not really happy with this tank to begin with it's a bit of a hot mess of and not what i had envisioned which was just like a look down lagoon so i'm gonna i'm gonna go in there and and retry and maybe just like my upstairs tank like third times the charm you know i'll get it to a place where i'm happy but it's it's just interesting sometimes you have this grand vision you know you see stuff online or you see a picture in a book and you're like you know i could do this i could do that and then you go execute it and then it doesn't always pan out, you know? Sometimes you end up with a happy accident, right? Like, sometimes you end up in a place that you're like, oh, well, that's kind of cool, but uh, I don't know. I Just an interesting comment, because yeah, when you said about uh, aquascaping mindset, and then you start talking about the mangrove tank and adding the uh, anemones, which I think will look amazing. I also think it's, a, you know, the other part of success sometimes is that what you end up with is like, ah, eh, this is not really what I was going for.
0: <laughs> you, know? you, you have to, like... You're not aiming for a bullseye, you're aiming just for the, the whole dartboard, and you're hoping to land somewhere in the neighborhood. Yeah. Right. So, in my mind, you know, like I could have the blue carpet on one side and the ritter eye on the other side, and they would never move, and they'd just be big yeah. and just get, you know, get like right up to each other and touching. And that's all you would see is just blue beads on one side and green tipped, you know, purple tentacles on the other. But that aquascape is going to have to, you know, somehow always guide them, um, and then you know, bonsaiing the trees. Like that's, I think I have the courage now to to be a little bit more aggressive about trimming branches because I see how fast trees can grow. Yeah. But when I was talking about the aquascaping mindset, it was less about um, literally aquascaping the tank and using, you know, the golden rule and uh, golden ratios or whatever. More about like you know aiming for a goal and realizing when you're at that goal yeah and, and then start to trim and curate not just let stuff grow rampant you know i think all of us as as reefers we're just naturally trained to just let the coral grow especially when it's growing really really well and you don't you never want to interrupt that but we have to when you reach a certain level of um I don't know what success, but like proficiency at growing the corals, you've got to trust yourself to be able to like to cut them down and that they will regrow. Like the actual grafting experiment I did not too long ago, I guess it's been a year now. Um, those, that core looks amazing now, you know, it was so tall and had a big old trunk and I didn't like it. So I cut it down to the part that was really growing well. And that, that coral grew really awesome. Every branch, you know grew straight and then every one of those branches started branching more. And so now it's a nice little bushy, uh, you know, yellow tip stag. Um, so that's what I was meaning. I mean, yeah, I, no, I, lo-
1: I get you on that. Cause I mean, it, it's more that you have an end goal and you're disciplined enough to stick to it and also make the sort of the sacrifice of cutting a coral back when you need to, to preserve that goal. Right. Um, the problem is even the most patient person in the world is going to struggle with that right i mean like my tank i wanted a look down lps tank with a bunch of uh gonioporas you know covering the sand bed right well i bought a bunch of uh goniopora frags and they're all cute as a button but it's probably going to take a couple of years for them to be you know softball size and really you know become uh something beautiful to behold from the top down now you just see like little frags on a sand bed right and so maybe it's OK to have, hey, I'm going to go with this intermediate look that's attractive. Right. And then at, I mean, planet guys do this. Right. They put the fast growing plants in to get something going. And then but the end goal is to rip out those fast growing plants when the slow growing plants get sizable. Yep. Um, so that's where my brain's been at, where the execution didn't fulfill the vision and it probably will if I just hang out for five years (laughs) but I was thinking you know maybe I maybe I enjoy the tank now in a form and then as those gunio pores get bigger I start to pull stuff out and I I achieve that you know almost like a tide pool of LPS that I was hoping for you know so but I I get I get what you're saying yeah (laughs)
0: Yeah, so I was I've been working on the, the Cade Aquarium that has a lot of LPS. And I have this, you know, perfect rock of orange Acanthastria echinata with bright green mouths, just a really nice piece. And I had a perfect place for it in the Cade tank. And I put it in there. And it looked amazing. It looked really great. And I was like, you know, the best case scenario for this is that this coral takes off takes over and just starts killing stuff. (laughs) You know, that's the best case scenario. Uh, Worst case scenario is that it, I don't know, some coral falls into it or falls down. It's been challenging keeping corals really attached on a vertical surface, even after a year or two. The you know the emerald crabs can run around and just kind of pick at the wrong thing and knock it over. And It's just that's been kind of a challenge. Um, especially, yeah, I mean, try to do the super glue epoxy super glue method to do, to get like a really good bond, and that can last a long time. But just never know when something's going to come across and bump it, you know. And this is even more of a problem in tanks with hermit crab lots of hermit crabs and snails and and other things but but yeah i was looking at this at canthastria i was like man you look amazing right there and this is the perfect tank for you and this is too perfect for you (laughs) it's too good like there's you know too many other lps cinerinas endophilias scalemias in that tank i'm like you know on a long timeline you don't fit this aquarium so i'm gonna have to pull you out and and earmark you for another aquarium where it'd be less of a concern. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to have that conversation about sacrificing a little bit of the coral for the benefit of the entire reef tank, you know? So in the coral flats, again, I'm still like, got this little mindset in the back of my head of you know I'm trying to get corals, trying to get corals. I'm like all right, it's been almost four years now. I've got enough corals. But a lot of the weirdos just haven't necessarily panned out and uh, you know when there's just too much coral like the, it, the, the flow can't go around it and detritus will bit up in a corner and um, I'm thinking about that with the fish too. I have so many yellow tangs, and I was thought I was going to put a bunch of them into the new acro system, the 400 gallon display. And then I'm thinking I was just picturing, imagining that many tangs just pooping, <laughs> just pooping all the time. Like, man, that'd be a lot to manage. <laughs> so maybe this is going to be a very low fish load on this 400 gallon tank. And instead of having, you know, a real show school of, of yellow tangs like I'd originally planned, it's like, oh, maybe I just do a much fewer of the herbivores and uh you know maybe focus a little bit more on the smaller fish that can just get in the slipstream of the corals and eat coral food and just have tiny little poops that the corals will eat as well um because uh, yeah i don't want to compromise that 400 gallon tank
1: yeah it'll be a fun journey to witness uh on the sidelines with that tank because i think you have some really creative ideas around it and uh i think it'll be a memorable tank you know one that there's, I mean, you you and I know this, there's tanks that have existed in our timeline of the hobby that became uh, notorious in a good way, you know, something that, that becomes memorable that people still bring up from time to time. And I feel like you're on that path with that tank just because you're not just setting up a tank that size like everybody else has and sticking corals in it and you know end goal you have corals and fish and blah 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 like you have some interesting ideas around it that i think will it's pan out
0: it's so hard you know i could have that tank filled right now but i'm just
1: you know disciplined here man yeah that's crazy oh my
0: god yeah the discipline is tough you were here and we put two more corals in there so i started with the blue lightning stag and um, (laughs) cycling the tank with, like, nice high-end acro colonies, not little frags. So the Blue Lightning was kind of um, just the starter piece, and he started encrusting on the bottom. Um, The hoaxamai that we put in there looks amazing, looks great. Um, What else? Oh, and then the kind of the rainbow tip skinny stag. Um, That thing looks just perfect. Everything looks perfect where we put it. but the only thing is, I'm just really trying to skate from one side to the other, so I don't just have 2,000 watts of light on the tank that's only got three or four corals on the end, right? So I'm just trying to just light up that end first, really thoroughly, and then just go, you know, section by section by section. So I'm hoping to have the corals I want in there by the end of the year. And so, you know, the 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 hoaxami and the rainbow tip skinny. Um, that was kind of a big step because we tripled the number of corals in the 400 gallon aquarium. Um, but yeah, I have all the corals that I know I want to put in there. I just, I'm trying to build it from one side to the other with the, the right strains and just really kind of get, um, uh, a nice gradient from staghorns to torch to tables, and then all the pillow shaped acros on the left side. That's going to be easy towards when I get to the end, it'll be, uh, it'll be a down downhill from there. But I think, you know, setting up a 400 gallon tank, no fish, no rock. It's got three acros in it. Colonies, three acro colonies. It's already, it's already doing pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. I'm
1: curious. I mean, you, have been talking about dosing phosphates a lot. Um, and, uh, one interesting point that I, I was reading about is, um, with everybody starting with dead rock these days, um, dead rock is a fantastic binder of phosphates. And you hear a lot of people dosing phosphates early on and they keep bottoming out because their rock hasn't fully saturated. And then once their rocks are saturated, then all of a sudden they see their phosphates start to go up. And so I'm curious because you have noticed such a benefit in dosing uh, phosphates in your systems. And here's this new system with a lot of this new calcium carbonate dead rock, which in a way is an absorption media for phosphate until it hits a a critical threshold, right? Um, So, uh, yeah, I'm kind of curious to see how that goes for you and, 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 you know, are you dosing phosphate into that system already or? I have. Okay.
0: I have. And it's been, you know, it was after we added those two corals. that got a little bit of a, a real diatom bloom. Not like when you were there, it's just tiny little specks here and there. It's yeah. hard to even call it diatoms, but a, a, not a nasty, but like a legitimate little bloom of brown kind of happened on the bottom and the rocks in the back. And so, you know, I'm gonna be going to Australia here for most of August, so I'm just gonna let the tank coast as it is, but I've dosed once, but that kind of brings up a good point about the nitrate and phosphate levels every and 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 trace elements everybody's so obsessed with hitting the numbers but i feel like if i dose a a, a value of phosphate right so if i know i dosed enough phosphate to reach let's say 0.02 ppm um and by the end of the day it's at zero those corals they absorb that phosphate it's not like they don't have phosphate so writing zero is not bad right those corals they've eaten their fill of phosphates you don't necessarily need to keep it there and i feel similarly about some of the trace elements you know say you dose some iron and some iodine and you have a real high density of corals and hypothetically you test it with a test kit that would work at the end of the day we know iron and and iodine are really tough if it's zero at the end of the day i mean your corals still absorbed it right so i dose trace elements I just assume they're going to be zero very soon, you know. So when I send tests off to ICP, I'm not alarmed when zinc or copper or manganese are all bottomed out. You know, I know that I'm adding it. I know the corals are getting it. So there's no, there's more risk in trying to hit those numbers than just knowing you're actually giving them that.
1: Yeah, it's the clean plate club, right? If you base a decision on something, somebody's starving because their plate's empty. When you keep adding food to the plate, it's the wrong way to look at it, right? Um,
0: Where'd you come up with that analogy?
1: I was just sitting here thinking about it, you know, just the... But, you know, trying to say, well, I need to get to a point where there's always food left on the plate may not be the right course of action
0: that's so funny because I've always used the analogy of someone who's dying of thirst in the desert you know that first glass of water they're just gonna chug it down it's gonna be great that second glass they might just hold on to it they're not necessarily (laughs) going to drink it right now right so maybe there's a conversation or discussion to be had about adding a certain amount of nutrients throughout the week or the you know the month or whatever and still writing zero Right? Because if your corals are absorbing it, but then it's still technically zero nitrate, zero phosphates in the water, but you know you're adding a reasonable amount, that's kind of more like how the reef is, right? There is no measurable phosphate or nitrate. Uh, On most coral reefs, and that's the whole idea between coral reefs and the biodiversity is having all those nutrients tightly cycled, right? So as soon as they become available, they're absorbed by something else yet again. So I think, you know, for the long term, I think for more successful reef tanks, having a, a... got it it's hard to to ask somebody to put phosphate and nitrate on a doser right but perhaps you could dilute those down into the same solution so you have one channel and just dose just enough to know that you're adding it but you know that when you test it it's still going to be zero so you can have the benefit of adding phosphorus and nitrogen to the tank without having this uh, reservoir of nutrients to feed um you know detrimental algae
1: yeah and i you know, I was thinking about the <coughs> new prevalence of people struggling with dinos. Um, sort of came into being over the last few years, where you know, it used to be, oh, you got dinos, just black out your tank for a few days, and they they were they behave more like diatoms, right? It was a it was a brief little blip in your early startup of your tank, and you get through it. But then you have people with persistent dinos, and I wonder. I do wonder if all of this dead, dry calcium carbonate rock acting as a phosphate binder early on until things kind of get built up is a facilitator to all these people having issues with dinos these days. Um, So I I do, I agree with you on the, you know, the clean plate club, right? I I don't, I, I think as long as you're dosing something to make it bioavailable for your corals, um, maybe not chase a number on a test kit, but uh, I also do uh, worry in, in early tanks if you're bottomed out. Um, you might, you know, there. You might be waiting to get that buildup of, of you know, where the rock isn't competing with a coral for that phosphate, right? Um, because the rock, well, the rock, kind of bind the- it a lot quicker, right? I mean, long- go ahead. Okay.
0: along those same lines i know everybody's going to who wants sand is going to add sand but i've yet to encounter someone who sees the benefit of like waiting a few months to add the sand right? right so the sand bed itself is a is a giant even higher surface area Oh yeah basically chemical media for your aquarium sucking out all the nutrients but then it's trapping those nutrients especially in the form of detritus um, from your fish and your corals and whatever you have but it reaches a tipping point you know depending on your nutrient input let's say 369 months in where all of a sudden it, all of a sudden It can't absorb any more, and it's just now it's starting to not suck up the nutrients, but also the the, the built-up detritus is starting to leach nutrients. You know, so I still think there's a great conversation to be had to adding sand a few months later. I think we'd, people who set up new tanks would have just so much more success, um, just in that uh, nutrient and uglies journey, if they just waited to add the sand. And I see these setups all the time. And I remember working the reef shops where you sell send, sell somebody a, a new tank, and you know you might be able to ring them up for fifty, a hundred, two hundred dollars worth of just sand. And it's a high profit thing for for the reef store, right? So no reef store is going to try to um, make the case that you shouldn't start with sand, right? So maybe enjoy the benefits of a bare bottom to begin with, especially since people are cycling their tanks with fish instead of, you know, corals and just kind of basic reef life at the very time when your tank is trying to uh, learn and develop to process that. So I think... But along the lines, of what you're saying as far as like this dry rock becoming, a, being a sponge initially, but then it stops after a while. I think, you know, people who want sand in a proper display would see a lot of benefits. Just wait two, three months, maybe up to six months when your tank is really, really rocking and then just add it slowly. Mm-hmm. But that's, you see these new setups where there's like three, four inches of sand on day one. I'm like, all right, good luck with that. I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I
1: think the people who uh, I love sand, but I think the people who praise deep sand beds and have much success with them usually, if you look at the photos, those are examples of tanks with a lot of coral biomass, right? Mm-hmm. And that coral biomass is uh, consuming a lot of that uh, sand bed, leaching nutrients. It's almost in a. It, 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 you could argue it's almost beneficial at that point that, you know, instead of dosing, <laughs> your, your your deep sand bed is dosing your tank with uh, nutrients for you, for your corals, right? But um, deep sand bed in a tank with very little coral biomass and very new is is a tricky uh, path to go on, <laughs> I would say. I'm not saying it can't be done, but man, that, I, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. I mean... Uh, I'm more of the, have a little bit of a shallow sand substrate that's attractive. And then, you know, when you do get in for some water changes, I'm, that's the other thing. People always say, vacuum a quarter of your sandbag because you don't want your system to crash or something bad to happen. I'm like, screw that, man. I, I do the whole substrate like, like it's a freshwater tank with an under gravel filter, man. I'm in there with like worse. a freaking, you know.
0: <laughs> I do it even worse on the nano tank. Um, we don't. We've started um, applying what we do to the UNS aquarium as far as like doing large water changes. So that if you don't recall or haven't heard before, we have this one tank here at the studio. It's about 20 gallons. It's got one large fox coral, one large elegance, um, a plate coral on the bottom, and then just a turbinaria on the back. And instead of dosing or testing or anything. We just drain it all down, exchange it with the the system water that we know is good, rich um, reef chemistry. And what's funny is after about, if we generally do this about once a week, if we go two weeks, I notice that the corals start to pale out just a little bit. And so they're, the, what they're missing is nutrients, Yeah, right? Because we don't dose nutrients to that small little tank. Um, so we started to apply that to the Red Sea Nano at the front. Um, I thought about it. It's like, man, we could set up all kinds of dosers and tests and this and that. I'm like, Or we could just do this other method where we just drain a you know, significant amount of water yeah. and refill it with system water. But when the sand bed is dirty, I don't even sometimes okay, sometimes we do use the gravel siphon. Other times I just straight take a hose, suck out the part I want, take it over to the sink hose it down with the spray, and then put it back in the tank. Yeah, right. So I literally will will wash it with fresh tap water. And it's not a big deal. You know, um, all the real action is, is going inside of the is in the pores of the media. And I've always thought about this, like people are so worried with cleaning their biomedia with the tank water that's at a proper temperature. I'm like, if osmotic imbalance really had such an effect on microbial and bacterial population, we would wash our hands with salt water. Right. If it was such a big thing, but it's not. So my my freshwater tank biomedia, I'll hose it down in the sink. Not too aggressively. There is a point at which you can start to blast off some of that biofilm. Um, and same thing with my saltwater biomedia. Um, I have no problems just kind of hosing it down with freshwater, not letting it soak, you know, because there might be like sponge and other Mayo fauna that is a little bit larger is not gonna appreciate that um, but yeah we get pretty aggressive with our, our gra- gravel cleaning in the Red Sea Nano
1: yeah I had to laugh um, not quite bacteria but a similar note um, somebody on Facebook posted this funny meme where you know aquarists are like we must acc- drip acclimate our fish to match the pH and the temperature and everything perfectly and then it's like meanwhile in Utah and it shows one of those planes that's just spitting out trout into uh mountain lakes you know like with a with a a tube <laughs> and it looks yep, like it's like yep. a gun firing <laughs> trout <laughs> and you know i'm not i'm not saying that uh those trout are in in for a shock and maybe some of them you know die from the stress of it all but uh it, it's just funny yeah uh, the way that we it's like you always talk about it's like the sand bed becomes something we have to take care of. And, you know, oh, don't disturb the sand bed. And to me, it's just decoration, you know, it's uh, it does add, you know, some good microbial life I think sometimes. But uh, I don't know, I've been on a crushed coral kick, man. I tried some, you know, small millimeter sand again in this tank and that's another thing that just didn't pan out. I'm like, nope, I'm gonna go do some uh, reborn media like I did in my upstairs tank. I wish I could find the big reborn still somehow. Uh, but the, the new stuff's fine too. Um, but it's, it's like, I, I, I more look at it like, oh, I have a lot of little live rocks, you know, <laughs> on the base of my tank and, and copepods are going to run around in there and eat crap and coralline algae is going to coat it. And, and then every once in a while I go in there with a the gravel siphon and get all the, detrital gunk out and that, uh, the whole sugar sand, like, or even, um, Special grade's too small for me now. I don't like that stuff anymore. I, maybe I'll change my mind at
0: some point, but I, I would totally put reborn in the four hundred gallon tank if I didn't have the closed loop mounted on the bottom. If the if, if you know the closed loop was somehow mounted on the back yeah. and it wasn't sucking in from the bottom, I would totally be on track to make a reborn gravel bottom. I actually have enough. Of it to do something like that because I, I found it in the back corners of like some dusty old aquarium shops I swear I bought a two bags that were green because they had been you know moist for so long and just enough light that algae was growing <laughs> inside of them um, but I'll never use them for calcium reactor media No, they're just they make such good rubble that might be a good thing to use in the mangrove um, mangrove anemone display to help keep the anemones in place a little bit um, I was gonna say something else
1: yeah, you Did were you the hit? first I ever saw do that. Uh, it was at a fish Aquamart. store aquarium. Yeah, long ago. yeah
0: those. the you There's actually videos. There's a couple videos. If you go to YouTube and uh, Aquamar Reef Display, there's a couple videos there of, uh, you know, kind of a classic metal halide lit aquarium with dumb vortex pumps. Before they had any wireless ability, they were just just a knob to turn them up nice. and down, um, and then true adductors on the returns. So yeah, that was that was a pretty fun tank. It was really cool because you didn't realize just how many tips break off the corals just through the action of the fish. And then when they have a stable traits to just kind of land in, they would just encrust into little spats everywhere they landed on the bottom. And uh, I remember a really cool fish for that tank that you wouldn't think you'd find around high flow was dragon face pipefish. They loved that tank, man. They'd just be all over the place and just act like they were really made for it. And the only thing, I've only seen dragon face pipefish Uh, I've seen them in the wild plenty and they're not like in that kind of flow zone, but they're usually like in the wave zone. So it's a different kind of water flow, man. They are some of the boldest fish. You can like get real close to them. I've had them about four or five inches from my mask. I'm just sit there staring at them, watching them just kind of go around and they're just somehow don't care that there's a six foot creature (laughs) floating above them while I'm snorkeling. It's kind of impressive.
1: I've never kept them. That's another fish that I've just, you know, never never entered my aquarium um i should add that very to my very cool
0: fish very very lots of personality um i don't you know i'm sure you could train them but it's, that is one of the fish like a classic mandarin you just need an established reef you yeah. know with substrate and lots of rock for them to pick you know pick their nose through and uh, they do really really well but they won't eat, you know, red bugs <laughs> like people think. They might eat one or two there, but, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, that's where I'm at right now. It's weird, like, how different the tanks look since you came to, came by. Um, I did a huge scrub down on the main Acropora flat, and it's like, over years, you don't realize... I mean, I know not too many people have a shuffling tank like that, but I would be putting, you know, lower light corals in the corners or shuffling things here and there and everywhere. And it wasn't until we did like a full scrub down at the bottom. I'm like, oh, we need to get stuff off the sides and out of the corners. So it took like a tank full of euphelia's worth of coral out of my main acropora system that was just shoved into the corner and growing into itself that's on the sump of the fat cube now <laughs> so now i have just a sump full of euphelia. there's this oh my god this i feel so bad about this it's this i have this one strain of hammer coral that will go half green and half kind of gray and almost always it's really consistent where um, yeah, any five or six polyps are going to be, you know, half green, and half gray, and some of the polyps are half and half. I just happen to have this one piece that is a large colony and it's gray. There is no redeemable color about that thing. If you squint real closely, you can see a little bit of green stripe at the the mouth, but like, who's going to want that? Nobody's going to want that. A store would be mad at me for bringing it in because they don't want to sit on literally gray, <laughs> solid brown, uh, and ancora. And I'm like, man, this kind of sucks. I, I feel like if I grew each one of those uh, polyps out into their own colonies, the green would reappear because it does that. Some of the greens do, some of the grays do appear some green, but right now it's just a liability. It's a huge kind of gray hammer coral. I'm like, man, this sucks. What am I supposed to do? If, 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 you know, corals are so precious and I guess that's kind of the aquascaper mindset I was trying to think of like these aquascapers, they're throwing away so many freaking plants. You know, they always want to start off with just tissue culture, something really um, predictable. And you don't really, unless it's, you know, like Bucephalandra or some fancy Aereocolin or some fancy stem plants, you don't see the local clubs, you know, someone offering like really good clippings of plants, right? It's usually just giant clumps of Java moss, Anubius, and Java fern. And so same thing with the corals. It's like, I know corals are precious, but the other corals I have are more precious, so i got to make some of those sacrifices. You know, every time that we frag corals, I throw away perfectly good frags in in the trash can i know some people are screaming at me right now in the comments or whatever but it's while i'm making say 11 i want to make 10 frags i'll actually cut 12 frags and i'll keep the best 10 and i always pitch a couple kind of as a sacrifice just to remind myself that if i save every little piece of coral and i wait around to find a home for it or take it to somebody it's going to negatively affect the rest of the aquarium right? Yeah. I can't have a giant, like I would have a single rack of purple digi, a single rack of orange digi, a single rack of all these different birds nest strain. And it's just like, I, I can't, but can't I mean, it.
1: At this I know you gave me crap when I rest- when I uh, set up threw away a big colony of fox flame. That's <laughs> yeah. a little bit different. <laughs> but at the end of the day, I mean, because I see this all the time, where somebody upgrades their tank and uh, and then they move all their old mature colonies into the tank, and then you you try to get it all to fit and it doesn't fit right because they're all these giant colonies and, and, and then you're making compromises on your aquascape and on how you want the tank to look because you're more concerned making sure that all these big colonies are, are, are happy but then you're looking at your tank you're like well this is not what I wanted and I mean there have been people uh, on forums and stuff and like I, I've posted on them and said hey man my advice hack it back and reset You know, and start with frags and grow it out. It's
0: a, it's a hard mindset to do, right? As coral aficionados, we're all collectors, right? We want to save every piece and have a piece of all different (laughs) kinds of corals, and it's just hard to know when a coral has passed that threshold of being, uh, you know, less of a fun coral to keep and more of a liability for the rest of your tank. And so that's one of the things I'm kind of come to grips with now, I've thrown away a bunch of corals. I just want everybody to know, like, these are junky corals, yeah. and I give away a <clears throat> lot of You're not throwing away trackies, corals. you know? No, <laughs> no, 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 no. But, you know, like a you know, big old grove of candy corals, and a few of them are, like, stung up on the side, because they grew so big, they're touching the next coral. I'm like, alright, I can't. Afford the space the the mental bandwidth to baby that those pieces back to health when the other pieces are so healthy That they will rec- recoup, you know those losses. I don't know It's just this a it's, I don't think it's a topic that's talked about enough. I don't know How much this is gonna land <laughs> with with the listeners right now, but you know when you reach a certain level of success like Also having a giant Population of corals in your aquarium What are you gonna do? just keep turning up your calcium reactor just keep dosing more and dosing more and dosing more yeah or you could keep the same number of corals and then just hack the mass down to by half you know Milka Stylo is a great example i love Milka Stylo. we haven't talked about Milka Stylo <laughs> for a while it's so great i but i've given away so much of it and you know evan has the same problem like when it's when it's banging it is like a quarter of your calcium and carbonate uptake it's so dense and the branches grow so thick um it's it's a magical coral, and it feels so disrespectful to take this coral that's been in the hobby for so long that it's been renamed a bunch of times and you know i still have plenty of good colonies but it feels wrong somehow to to throw it away you know i know i know there's some older reefers that listen to to this and we'll, we'll put it in their calcium reactor and that sounds cool that sounds romantic the only reason I don't subscribe to that is because if I put you know like I'm, I'm never gonna have the same grade of corals to put in the calcium reactor right sometimes it's gonna be acro sometimes it's gonna be milk stylo which is really dense like reborn and sometimes uh, you know you feel your polyps or like bird's nest or digi you know they're all gonna uh, dissolve at really different rates and I don't want to end up with this mushy mush in in my calcium reactor more than I have to. So I'm like, you know, I'm just going to stick with, you know, the grades that I normally use. So I don't have to constantly be cleaning my calcium reactor or adjusting the flow rate through it.
1: Yeah, I think at the end of the day, they're, they're, they're more complex than plants. And so, you know, we assign or anthropomorphize things onto them. You know, my, my wife always gets mad when I throw away a coral, you know, she's like, Oh, it's going to die in the trash. And it's going to, you know, the poor creature. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but it's, it's like going into your garden, you know, you got to prune, <laughs> you got to hack off branches off a tree. Cause that tree's shading this thing. And, you know, it, it's just part of gardening, you know, we're gardeners yeah. and part of gardening is that you're going to have to take living, organisms and hack them back and and yes these are colonial animals so you are killing an animal and that
0: feels a little you're bit You're killing awful. a lot of animals. Right. <laughs> Every time you do a water change.
1: Well that's true too right? Um, and I think there's a, it depends on what kind of like you said, it depends on what corals we're talking about. I don't, I, I wouldn't throw, one if you can find, rehome these corals cool if you're in an area where your local fish store would love to have this inventory or you've got, you're part of a, a club whatever but at a certain point for me, I'm just a very busy person. I've got my family. I don't want to sit around for hopefully some guy to show up with a five gallon bucket to take some corals off my hand when it's convenient for him rather than it's Saturday morning. My kids are still asleep and having a cup of coffee. You know what? I'm going to hack that coral back now because I have time to do it. Yeah. I don't, um, at the end of the day, I mean, we're gardeners, right? Uh, and yes they're animals and you feel bad killing off animals um especially colonial animals i I mean i I think um but i mean if you want to achieve your aesthetic if you want to achieve your goals if you want to ensure the health of other corals in your tank you have to go at it and, and and prune things and um if you have the means or the resources to get rid of this stuff through your local fish store and rehome it or your club that's great I, but you know sometimes it, with your life you get busy i get busy and it's sunday morning and i'm drinking a cup of coffee and the kids are still asleep and i've got some free time to hack that coral back that's been bugging me you know but then i don't want to have to try to figure out a time for somebody to show up with a 5 gallon bucket at my house either and and so provided we're not talking about, you know, solitary polyp LPS, you know, if we're just talking branching hammers, uh, if we're talking SPS, we're talking softies, you know, just hack that stuff back and, you know, put it in the compost pile or whatever.
0: Yeah, Um, I think two great examples are bird's nest corals. Yeah. And um, echinopora, like plating echinopora right so when you go diving in the wild bird's nest corals are never like larger than about a foot i mean i say that never i'm sure you'll find one but more often you'll see 10 of them that are about 5-6 inches long kind of in a group and you can tell that they're different colonies, slightly different species so in a reef aquarium environment, you know, pink bird's nests super spiny, you know dense branching, grows close together catches everything that flows through the tank, you know, all of the sponge, of valonia, hair algae and you know, you, it's really hard to keep it growing really nice and if you get it up to about 10 inches it invariably starts dying at the bottom, Yeah. right? So this is one of those times where you really have to be prepared to reset a coral like a pink bird's nest or a green bird's nest. You know, um, I I know a lot of bird's nest growers will feel me on this, but same thing with the, you know, plating kind of poras like the Sprung Stunner. Um again, best case scenario, that thing grows huge and it starts, you know, stinging something nearby or shading something underneath, and it's just something you really have to manage. Um, And I don't think there's enough conversation about that as far as, like, Grooming your corals for their own benefit like the tree that you mentioned as far as like cutting off branches And uh, that's something that I strive to do when I see kind of you know a small branch that's growing well But it's underneath its own branches and it's pointed in the wrong direction I'm like that's never gonna be a great piece of the colony itself if I cut off some of the bottom branches off my Tree coral um, it's gonna get a lot more flow underneath and it's probably gonna benefit the animal as a whole. Yeah, I agree and then, good luck finding anyone who's going to jump at the opportunity to take your frags of, you know, kind of platey, junky poor <laughs> This is not exactly high on, on people's radar. Um, do you have any other thoughts on on kind of some of the sacrifices we can m- make to better the reef? Um, I mean, I. Th- so, so
1: you come at it from a perspective of having essentially a coral farm, right? I mean, uh, you're not in the business of selling corals, but you have a ton of real estate
0: to grow coral. Um, I'm I'm (coughs) talking also about displays, though.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, but but I guess what I mean is, uh, you know, in your case, you can also, you have the opportunity sometimes to say, okay, I'm going to take this coral out of this system and put it in that system. And when you... You know, and and I think the one takeaway from this discussion is even in your situation with as many systems as you have, you have to practice restraint and you have to practice discipline and you're you're editing your coral collection, right? Um, when you're talking one or two tanks in your house, uh, it's also it's just it's a matter of having that discipline, right? And in terms of, you know, you mentioning, you know, the being victims of your success, as your corals get bigger, you know, it's, you're, sometimes you are going to remove just a giant colony, right? And, and then keep the colonies that you want. But it's just the, I guess the magic word of the day is just having discipline restraint and having uh being but but being bold enough to get in there and and make the necessary changes that's the other thing is like when you got a reef and it's just jamming and everything's growing the last thing you want to do is go in there and be a disruptor but man you got to do it you know
0: if you're looking at a like a thriving reef tank you know and the corals are just filled in everything you can always identify a few who are growing faster than the others we're going to grow out of proportion with the scape, and uh, sometimes, man, pruning is just not the answer. Some like I find myself just removing the whole colony and right. putting a small, healthy piece back in. I did that, you know, maybe about six months ago with the red dragon. I started by just thinking, oh, I'm just going to trim some stuff out, but then I got into it. I'm like, this would be so much better if I just took everything out put a good piece back in and let it regrow. And yeah, now I can't even really tell that I've done some grooming and I had a lot of extra red dragon left over that I gave away to a lot of people. I only have a couple extra colonies now. Um, but yeah, I think there's some sacrifices to be made that it's just a weird kind of non-linear conversation to have to talk about, hey, you need to get rid of coral to make your reef tank better.
1: Yeah, it just, and it's, I think we all can relate to just, uh being bad at getting in there and doing it you know it's not so much laziness sometimes it's just like ah i don't i don't want to i don't want to hack you know but um it does feel so good on the flip side right it usually does when i got rid of that leather coral uh for example i just felt so i felt like a weight off my shoulders right because now all those compromises i had been making vaporize right I uh, In my 225, I had a Shades of Fall acro, which is a tabling acro, at least it was in my tank. And I kept hacking it back, hacking it back. But I mean, this thing, its goal was just like the leather coral to become a giant umbrella and shade everything below it, right? It's just, it's doing what it's, it's competing as it was designed to do. And eventually I just... I found, I, in that case, I did find somebody who was interested in it. I took the whole freaking colony out. I gave it to the guy. And it was like, I remember the next day just feeling so much better. I, I don't know how to put it. It's like, it's, it, it's not that I'm that emotionally tied into my aquarium. But it's just, um, it's almost like I had a feeling about the tank that was nagging me. And that I couldn't put my finger on it. But then when i made this uh indirect decision i realized oh that nagging feeling i was was that damn coral like that coral got removed i started to reshuffle some things and then i was happy with the trajectory of the tank again and so uh yeah there's just i don't know it's it there's a nuanced thing to it where you just gotta sometimes uh feel it out but but it's always uh, usually worth it in the end. Now, if you take too much out and all of a sudden your alk demand drops, but you're dosing too much and you, you know, you nuke your tank with an alk spike, you'll probably be regretting it. You know, there's, there's definitely... Milka
0: Stylo I think is the biggest culprit in that department. Yeah. It's just so dense. But yeah, you're right. Did you sell the corn or did you give it away?
1: Uh, the Shades of Fall? hmm I, I sold it for, I think the price of, you know, a couple of frags of it. But I mean, I mean, it was, it was big. You know, yeah I, um
0: that's that's the other thing man um I wish to like I'm on so many Facebook groups and I just see people every day trying to sell. A few polyps of this and that for five, 10 bucks, 20 bucks. I'm like, I know this hobby's expensive, but if we all just kind of, you know, if it's rare Walt Disney or Gold Hammer or something fancy zoanthid, okay, sure, you know, get your money's worth. But when it's just kind of an average coral that someone could have given you for free, just put it up there for free. Yeah. Just let somebody have it. You know, um, I don't know that reef stores would want to do this, but having like a, a free section where it's like, uh, uh, leave a penny, take a penny, right? Yeah. <laughs> that would be fun. And to have a section in the reef shop where, all right, here's your sprunk stunner and some kind of junky, whatever's, um, but yeah, I don't know. That's kind of a weird conversation to have, but, um, I did want to ask you about some of the new reef toys you got, um, that you, you know, that uh, got from me when yes. on your visit i know you've installed one of those things can you tell us about it
1: well let me start at the beginning so while i was hanging out with you in colorado my return pump on my main reef died um uh it was a wiring issue i, I won't get into the brand because uh, i don't want to pick on brands but uh but i yeah i um thank you to CJ for uh sending me out on a very accelerated I don't know if they did overnight shipping or what but uh those those they sent me uh replacement pumps were they um, there when you got back <laughs> yeah they beat me home <laughs> um <laughs> i actually had to pay ups to hold uh, you know how you can delay your delivery for 10 bucks with ups i had to do that cuz i didn't want them sitting on the stoop in the rain cuz my neighbors were also out of town um So that happened Uh, and then I came home and uh, I was uh, dealing with the cyano outbreak that I was just talking about earlier in the basement tank and I felt something dripping on my head and realized that uh, some of my house plumbing was leaking and the drywall was all damaged and so that sucked. Then I ordered some stuff for my reef tanks and the FedEx truck that delivered it got stuck on my driveway and the lady decided to try to burn out her tires to try to dislodge and when you burn out tires cheap tires they plasticize and melt so uh, this weekend i've been scraping tar like goo because my kids and my dogs run through it and track it into my house so that sucked on top of covid but um yeah you hooked me up with uh so so beyond the the cj thank you so much for that but um you hooked me up with some new reef lights and a new skimmer for my basement tank to try out. Um, one of them is the uh, Ultra Reef. I don't know the model, like their smallest. I'm, skimmer. I'm looking it up
0: right now. Yeah. I'm always bad with model numbers. Um, it's the Bore. Borei. B O R E I. Borei UKB 120. Okay.
1: Um, and,
0: you know, it's funny because I. So with the
1: cyano, I decided just to nip it in the bud with some erythromycin or. Um, kept clean and uh you know that'll always make your skimmer go nuts right but uh the, the there that skimmer is perfect for those situations because you can remove the inner um uh what do you call it uh, the riser cup the riser tube right yeah so i i yank that out so essentially there's no cup to fill up but there is a cup right and then i just set the um the uh dc powered pump down to like the lowest setting and so it just aerated the tank without overflowing and uh did a chemical treatment and the thing is dead silent which is nice um where, yeah i mean that thing is uh now i got it skimming normally and it's uh it's it's pretty consistent so and then i did swap out the um the ai lights i had with uh the uh refi lab unos mm-hmm. um and those are those are pretty cool. Um, I definitely like the fact that there's no glare, um, especially because uh, where I sit to enjoy that tank, or it's also where my kid plays with his Hot Wheels, looking up at the tank down in the basement. So um, they're they're pretty cool. Uh, they're definitely um, I would say not as intuitive or, or user friendly. Like it's like you gotta be comfortable. Setting IP addresses and, and, and you know, it's, it's, a, it's not just like a Bluetooth connection, right? Like you have to connect. They have their own access points, almost like connecting to a, a Wi-Fi access point, but the access point is a light. Then you tell it what your Wi-Fi is and then you, you know, your Wi-Fi gives it an IP address um and then it gets kind of tricky because like in my system or in my network i can permanently assign ip addresses for certain reserved situations right um i would definitely recommend doing that with these lights because your router might reboot and reassign a new ip address um it's always displayed it's got a little display which is really cool so you always know what the ip is to log into i guess but um anyway they're 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 interesting um uh, let's see how they pan out over some time, but they've got really good spread and they've got uh, no shading, so that's kind of nice. And they're quiet, that's kind of nice too. So, um, cool. I'm excited but to ritual. try those out. I know
0: everybody knows about the Hydras and the Kessels and the Radeon, so it's nice to shine a light on a smaller manufacturer like ReFi. Um, they just announced their Uno 2.0. I saw um, that, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, So, but I think you're going to have enough power for the the LPS lagoon that you're aiming for.
1: Oh, I had to turn them down massively because I'm only running about 80, 90 par for these LPS. Um, 80,
0: 90 micromoles? Sorry,
1: micromoles, yeah. So swapping out the AIs, uh, I first did a measurement with my par meter and then, you know, threw these on. And I was like, ooh, we got to turn all the dials way down. So I'm not using them to their full intensity potential, but... uh, uh, that goes sort of back to what you said in a previous podcast about, you know, we get these crazy intense lights and then we turn them down because we only need all the way, yeah. all the
0: way. <laughs> yeah, the new version has more and more power. And, you know, just I was lately I've been r- r- lamenting the fact that there's not like uh, a Radeon XR7, you know, something like passively cool about yeah. the size of an XR15 um, or... I don't know if Kessel still makes their their 50-watt model or if they just keep selling the old versions because they have a 15-watt version and then go straight up to 90 watts. I'm like, yeah, I think more than ever, we need some lower-powered lights, um, especially being considerate of the costs associated with these devices nowadays. Not only that, but um,
1: the benefit of uh, the form factor changes, right? If you build a light that peaks out at let's say 250 micromoles of par on an even spread can you get away with uh no fan or a fan that barely turns on can you go to a thinner form factor that folks that use a canopy can use more easily i don't know it's like we got these high horsepower lights and not all of us are sps nuts either you know i have
0: one tank where I'm running Radeon Pro, just Radeon Gen 4 Pros at full power over Akros. And it's, it's the only one. <laughs> Everything else, if I dialed them up a lot um, they would totally just bleach a lot of stuff.
1: Oh, that was but, what I was gonna mention. Um, some of the takeaways from visiting your studio. One was, uh, and you just did a YouTube video on it, um, you know you had the Chalice Palace and the, that whole mode system, but the displays in there, despite having uh, very low intensity lighting. I mean, I, the minute I walked up, I was like, I could have any of those displays in that mode system in my house and I'd be happy with that. Um, and then the other takeaway I had was, and this is more relevant to the video you just released about that row of tanks is I remember thinking, you know, size doesn't really matter. You know I mean? We always want bigger, bigger, bigger tanks. And again, you have the ability to have so many systems that you always have room to put stuff, so maybe it's easier for you to really max the potential of a smaller tank uh, without having to exercise as much restraint as say if somebody only had a three foot tank in their house. but you, I just I sat in front of some of those um, uh, innovative marine tanks and thought, man, these are amazing displays with mature colonies, and they're not they look they feel bigger than they are when I sat in front of them. So anyway, the song I was gonna share with you, I guess more in person, but since we're talking, I brought it up now.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks for joining me on this uh, makeup session of Reef Therapy. I just wanna remind everyone that uh, if you're in Australia or the whereabouts, we're gonna have Reefstock Australia the first weekend of August and, uh, you know, some part of the reef builders team is going to be out there. Go to reef Show for more information. Also, um, I don't do this every time, but, uh, uh, make sure to rate us, uh, reef therapy on your favorite podcatcher. And, uh, we, we love the community that we've, um, cultivated around reef therapy in the YouTube comments. There's a lot of great conversations there. I think, um, it's the kind of conversations that you and I hope to have more often, um, in the general online world and in real life so um yeah we really appreciate the comments you guys uh, put up there so uh yeah make sure to keep keep doing that mark i hope you feel better soon and uh, I'll, i'll see you for another session in just a few days
1: yeah let's do it all right talk to you later all right see you man